Uh, well, uh, extremely lucky. I feel uh, very fortunate today to be sitting down with Adam Terrell, uh, founder of Third Window Films. And uh, you've been doing it now since uh, 2006, five, six. Is that right, Adam? 2005 is when I started it up, yes. Yeah, that's great. Uh, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's great. And so you actually live in Japan, is that right? I do. I moved here uh, around 2012 to uh, when I co-produced the film The Land of Hope by Shion Sono. I um, I moved over here and uh, that that uh, for the first couple of years, I was sort of back and forth. But then I've been pretty much here ever since uh, 2014 or so. Wow. Well, it's a dream of mine to to live in Japan or, or at least to visit for an extended time. I think uh, mostly actually through the cinema of Ozu and Kurosawa and uh, um, uh, even even now, you know, modern days, uh, even someone like Miyake, this there's a love of Japan, uh, and there's a appreciation for uh, I think the, the some of the smaller cities and villages, and there's kind of a beauty to it that I, I've always been fascinated by. I know a lot of people when they love Japan, they kind of come to it through anime. I've actually never seen any anime, um, but I just or, or at least I don't really watch it much. But I just I love the the culture and and the people and especially the food. So I think it's cool you're able to make a life over there. I'm the same. Also, actually, I'm completely uninterested in manga and anime and uh, a lot of the things. Yes, uh, people do associate with uh, those who are very into Japanese culture. Who and uh, I'm the complete opposite. Uh, I'm very into just like. Uh, like the old-fashioned culture of Japan, not the sort of Kyoto and Nara, but like the sort of uh, early Showa period and mid-Showa period. And when I go out in Tokyo or anywhere else in Japan, if I go out drinking or something like that, you know, it's always with like old people in like rundown shoten guys, like, uh, you know, very, very cheap standing bars, uh, nothing uh, new, nothing, nobody young. It's uh, That's what I really like about uh, Japan is that sort of culture still still being around i mean obviously it's, it's dying out but um yeah it's there's just there's just so much i guess uh so many different different parts of, of japanese culture that are that are great to explore and, and as long as i've been here you know i'm finding new things all the time and it's uh, i'm also glad I've, I've been here during the, the pandemic because it's uh, it's obviously one of the safest places uh due to yeah. japanese people following all the rules and and uh, wearing masks so um i'm very happy that i because i'm english and if i'd been in england you know it wouldn't have been uh, as easy for sure. Well, actually, so w without making this a, a, a podcast about spirituality, um, just at a high, very high level, I'm curious because that's one of the actual elements you kind of touched on this uh, in what you just said. But I, from the outsider kind of perspective looking in, it feels like the the um, a lot of the traditions, maybe like Japanese traditions, are very tied to kind of history and ancestry and spirituality. Like that's very closely rooted. Is that uh, do you see that still at all, or is that perception even uh, correct, I guess? I think tradition is maybe less spirituality, more the concept of tradition itself and the concept of um, keeping things the way they are. And that can be a very positive, and it can also be a negative, and it's a very negative in the film sense as well, because Japanese companies like are very, very old-fashioned, and they're very hard to work with both as a distributor and a producer. I mean, it's it's I'm really pulling my hair out so almost every single day trying to work with Japanese companies and that's obviously something that I learned a lot when I came to Japan I mean uh, obviously it hasn't changed anything but I understand why the Japanese companies are hard to work with by knowing more about them and working longer with them but uh, yeah I mean this is very there's a lot of positives and negatives and yes uh, I do find more negatives in the work that I'm doing unfortunately <laughs> 
<laughs> well, well, the, these these negatives still produce some, some amazing releases. So thank you for doing the hard work. So all we get to see is the finished product. Um, <laughs> that that might be a good tie-in. So uh, my understanding, I'm just curious to kind of you know uh, for, from your perspective on this, that you were working with the Tartan at the time. They had a big uh, line called Asia Extreme, right? Uh, and I actually remember that I owned I don't know uh, several dozen of those titles. I, I loved actually that line. Um, uh, back in kind of 2001, two, three-ish, that time frame, I feel like it was when it was quite popular. Um, and then you, there was a, you know, you had this perception that the the films that were coming out of Japan and kind of out of Asia to America were maybe more of the exploitation sense or maybe more of the kind of the extreme, uh, not necessarily representing a lot of the beauty that was being produced through the films in both Japan as well as kind of Asia or is, you know, is, is this, so is, is, am I right? Like that you felt like there was kind of a, a, a huge population of filmmaking that was not being represented in the West uh, and there might be an opportunity to, to be that voice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was a teenager, I actually lived in, in the States myself when I worked at a, a video rental shop in, in Florida called Video Renaissance, which uh, was one of the most un unknown best video stores in the whole of the world actually there we had about 40,000 films 40,000 wow. this was a uh, an owner that had since the 80s just bought every single videotape that he could buy he bought everything and he just never threw anything away so we had all these films that were out of print and uh, you know never you know you never made his dvd never made it across uh, to any other formats and just he was just an obsessive collector and uh, i worked there and you know being there, I could watch films all day, all night, and I was uh, com completely immersed in cinema. And, and um, you know, I got into Asian cinema around around the same time, uh, I, a bit a bit earlier. I've, I've been working at a, a few cinemas as well. And, uh, you know, I, the concept of distribution became uh, very apparent to me. Like, why aren't, why can I only see a certain number of films? You know, um, why is it that, that only a few companies are distributing only a few sorts of films? And, you know, that was also around the time that the Tartan were very big in, in England. And we would buy, obviously, um, discs from England and then, you know, or VHS uh, from England or, and, and then sell, rent them through our shop as well. And, and that's how I got into um, to Tartan Asia Extreme. And then I moved back to England and I, and I started working for them, but at first as an intern and then full time for, but only for about a year. And it, it did... Um, sort of disillusion me to the fact that my idea of, of Tartan and Tartan Extra Extreme as a fan was just like a complete admiration of what they were doing and and the films they were putting out. But then when I started working for them, you, you realize that like there's not really many people within the company that actually really care about about the films they're releasing. And it's almost just because they're exploitive titles and because they're extreme titles, they're easy to sell. And it's like, do you want, do you love Asian cinema? Do you want to promote Asian cinema, Japanese cinema? Or do you just want to sort of promote these sort of like crazy titles because you, you think they're going to sell and they're going to be sort of out there. And of course that's a fantastic, that was a fantastic market, but it's quite, um, you know, a small market, even, you know, Japan doesn't make that many actually of these Asia extreme titles. Uh, it's only a few directors that were doing it. And I was talking to the owner and I was like, look, or even if you want to do this sort of Asia Extreme brand, like there's still so many other great films that could fit into that, like Kurosawa Kiyoshi, you know, films like Pulse. But because they won't really have the same sort of, um, I mean, even knowledge or, or passion about uh, Japanese cinema as I did, uh, we just butted heads and I left and I thought, well, I'll do it myself. So um, I sort of 
tried to around I started Third Window Films in 2005 and and started to, trying to acquire titles that were at first um sort of mixing up like uh films like Lee Chang Dong's Greenfish like there were sort of genre films but also like artistic films or even films like No Blood No Tears that were action films but like really but Liu Shan Wang was like a you know getting very big at the time and 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 I was doing that with Korean films and then I thought uh you know, the, maybe I should also, what I'd really true love is Japanese films. So let me try to get some Japanese films that like uh, Memories of Matsuko, Kamikaze Girls, uh, Miki Satoshi films, like comedies and see what, what they would, uh, how they would work. And, and they, they actually ended up doing better than the Korean films I had initially bought, uh, maybe because they were so unique and because there wasn't a market uh, compared to the, Kore the Korean films that were getting bigger than mine. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's great. And and you mentioned in that same interview that I heard that somebody gave you the idea for the title of Third Window. And so that was essentially saying, I, I didn't quite understand, though. Do you mind possibly? Uh, yeah, we're kind of explaining the, the origin of that. No, actually, that that's uh, that's I, I don't know if maybe you read, it, you read it wrong or I spoke it wrong at the time. But no, actually, the title was just... Um, uh, I'm a, a record collector as well of, of Northern Soul Records. Uh, um, quite obscure, obscure 60s uh, and 70s soul music that was popular in England. Uh, and there was, the thing about Northern Soul is that sometimes there's songs that aren't soulful at all, but they, they sort of fit into this uh, genre of Northern Soul, including um, uh, a song by uh, Dean Barlow called A Third Window from the Right. And that was a white, he was a, a backing member of the Buddy, of Buddy Holly's Crickets. And he sang this uh, soul song that is, it's a sort of blue-eyed soul, but it's made it just like a bit crap pop. And it was quite popular on the Northern Soul scene. And I quite liked it at the time. And I had the record, of course. And uh, so I called the film, the company Third Window Films, because the song was called Third Window of the Right. And I used the song in the initial logo, um, animated logo, that if you have any of the old DVDs, you'll see. Um, I actually didn't have the, the copyright for it. So I, I removed it. <laughs> After a while, I think I got a bit of a warning to, to not using it. And that's why uh, that song <laughs> stopped being used after a while. <laughs> okay, okay. That's great. I'm glad I asked. Um, that's wonderful. Okay, so so then you you got started. Uh, you, you realized the Japanese films were selling better, and that was exciting for you because you you liked that uh, you liked them better, anyways. Uh, and then did you? I feel like the the films that I kind of got to know you through because I think I mentioned this even in the email. I remember renting. I don't know what what year it was, two thousand seven or eight in that time frame. I remember renting a film called PTU that came out um that i believe was one of yours and i and I, I that's kind of you know i got to know you through a lot of this asian cinema um but i don't remember it w was there a time where you decided to focus much more heavily into japanese films uh was it kind of around that time or i mean personally yes i mean when i really first got into asian cinema before uh, i got into japanese and korean cinema i was hong kong films um you know, when I was about 13, 14 years old, I really was got into Ringo, Ringo Lam, uh, John Woo, Choi Hark, and all that sort of classic Hong Kong films from the, you know, the, the early 90s. And, um, and of course, after that, obviously, became Johnny Toe. So I was very happy to have been able to release a film like PTU. But those Hong Kong, Hong Kong cinema at the time was obviously very popular, I was, as was Korean cinema. And those films are very expensive to acquire, and they didn't do well at all. Um, you know, I think there obviously was already a market for those films and that's why they were so expensive but I guess when you're dealing with films especially action films uh, and Korean action films are a good example of that people do sort of compare them to, to um or what they try to be themselves which is I mean maybe more in Korean in Korean films like Hollywood films mm -hmm. and therefore if you're trying to sell those 
those films, I think it's you. You'd think they'd be an easier sell because you know action, good action is should be an easier sell. But it, I think the sales agents obviously know that as well. And you, you know, it became quite a. a, a, a I lost a lot of money with the, with the first few, few films, including PTU. It wasn't a, it wasn't popular at all, or it didn't make the money that it cost to put out. Um, so that's also what what sort of changed my way of thinking in the way that. Well, I I do really want to get these sort of Japanese quirky comedies out. I didn't think there was going to be a market for them, but I thought there's probably less risk because they're they're less expensive and um, you know, yeah. maybe their their uniqueness and their originality of these you know films like Memories of Matsuko and Kamikaze Girls and those sort of quirky comedies might be something that just makes them obviously it's a very niche market, but it's a untapped market and. Uh, you know, I'd also obviously be more happy uh, releasing those sorts of films. And that's sort of what turned me away from focusing more on the sort of John Ito and Hong Kong films, which because you know, it was just really hard to work with those those, those Hong Kong companies as well. Interesting. And in uh, special effects, there's that concept of like Uncanny Valley, where it's so close to the real thing, but it's it's off and you can tell and something in the brain triggers you that it's not right. Maybe it, when you're describing this, uh, these, these films that are like Hollywood, but not quite Hollywood, maybe there's something there of like kind of an Uncanny Valley situation going on where people didn't know what to do with it. But maybe with the comedies, they were so different that people could just kind of sit back and like relax and not have any expectations or something. Yeah, expectations are a big thing. I mean, uh, you know, if you're gonna have something that's told told to you, like for example, with with No Blood, No Tears, some 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 uh, critic was was um, comparing it to something like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, which it is very comparable if you watch the film. But it's it's very different in the fact that Snatch and Lock, Stock are quite, even though they're small budget films, they're still much bigger budget films and have a much larger reach because they're English and they're bit, they're more stylish and and uh, you know it is. That's just what an audience would, I guess, would think of. Uh, I mean, you know, maybe if the original films were very, very cheap to acquire, then it would have been more profitable and easier to do. But, um, you know, the, the Koreans knew what they were they were doing. They were in a very big wave at the time because it was after Old Boy and, you know, Korean cinema was, was very popular at the time. Uh, so it wasn't yeah. cheap and it was very complicated. And, uh, yes, uh, that sort of moved me on to the Japanese. There's an interesting parallel with the way you're describing your career. And I think what I'm hearing, we've been very fortunate to speak with a number of people now uh, that are starting labels that are, that are kind of young uh, in, in their journey, right? That are new in their journey. Uh, Crescendo House, I think Era 44, 44, which you have at least some type of relationship with uh, through the, um, the Hokey Forest release, right? I don't know exactly what that is, but um, there's uh, a, few, a few of these labels where they maybe put out one or maybe two uh, Deaf Crocodile is another one, although that's a bit different. Um, it, but I, I'm finding this interesting parallel in what you describe in that, you know, when you jump into this game of distribution and uh, rights acquisitions and special features and, and manufacturing, uh, it just seems like there's a lot of lessons to learn. So what was uh, when you jumped in, was the transition smooth or uh, did, it take, did you take some hard knocks? And, you know, was it, how, how was that when you first got going? You know, yes, as you mentioned, Crescendo, I spoke to Jason a, a few weeks ago and I've been speaking to the Era 444 guys a lot and working with them. And I wish that it was the other, that somebody had been there to tell me uh, all the pitfalls and all the, the ways around it because uh, I was, they're, they're very young people as well. And, um, but the market has changed a lot in that time. And uh, it's become, I don't know if you, you, if you could say it is sort of easier in a way. I mean, obviously the market is smaller than it was when I started. Um, but it's, I think there's there's also the, the the sales agents, the people that you're buying films from, the production companies also realize that, that the market is smaller and they're having 
and therefore the films aren't as expensive as they used to be. Um, you know, I got into it also at a time that it was sort of like just past the peak of um, Asian cinema boom in England. So if it had been a few years before, then maybe I could have got on at the beginning. But, um, you know, Asian films were, were being sold for, for big money. But it was also at a time that the market had been such oversaturated by companies like Tartan. And therefore, you know, the, the, the prices to buy the films were high, but the market was less than, than the, the price actually worked out with. So, you know, it, also obviously the change between... Um, different formats over the years i mean uh, obviously dvd was, was was cheaper to make but but actually still quite expensive at the time and uh you know it's it's obviously it's it's hard for me also to remember exactly all, all the ins and outs that what happened a long time ago but it was very very complicated and it took a long time to really learn and get and get um get properly sorted uh you know i think uh Obviously, like like um, Era Four 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 and uh, Crescendo House, they're also having to work with middlemen in order to get their films um, manufactured, in order to get them onto Amazon and all these other places. And uh, you know, there was less selling direct to customer and more needing to go to middlemen into into stores as well. Uh, you know, real high street retailers and uh, rental and Amazon and all that. And those middlemen are the people that that have that I got screwed over a lot with and also uh, I'm sure uh, Crescendo and, and other companies like them have also had these sort of similar issues um, you know it's it's it does take a long time uh, I think unless you learn it all for years um, with at other companies and then go on your own you know I think it's it's really hard to start off with without having so much experience and uh, you can only sort of learn from from failures and I had many. Well, that's interesting, yeah, because nowadays it's very easy to sell from a web store, for example. Uh, but before, I'd imagine you were dealing with maybe like Tower Records and HMV and a lot of those kind of buyers. And and it just that that's probably a completely different profit margin even, right? Even if you are selling uh, quantities, it's just not, there's not, there's no money in it basically at that point. Yeah, yeah, you have to sell just like like tens of thousands of units um, because, yes, the, the margins are so small and those margins are eaten into by the companies that, put the, the middlemen obviously because you, you can't just go to tower records and say like can you take my dvds you know uh, you do need to have these um these middlemen that get them in to the stores mm -hmm. for you but also take their margins on top of the other margins so it's tough and also you know this was before facebook and all these and twitter and all these other things so you know marketing as well you know nowadays you can in essence market for free i mean obviously because everyone's marketing on the internet, you know, it's it's a lot of there's a lot of noise out there. But you could, in essence, market to people for free and then sell it through your web store um, at very very low margins, so you could make a lot more profit to, to what obviously we had to do because uh, at that time, you know, it's it's you know advertising in magazines and all that. You know, it's it's it was a very different time and it was a very hard time for an independent. Uh, it's a lot easier, I think, as an independent now, even if the market is probably smaller. Well, speaking, I guess, coming coming up to a little bit more um, modern days now, it feels like, at least, again, from the outside in, one of the reasons I was so uh, excited to speak with you, other than having known your, your label for, for quite some time, was it feels like you're hitting your stride in a, in a big way. And I hope that is okay to say. I mean, not to say that the sales weren't there before, that the label hasn't had a great reputation for many years, but every release that's coming out now just seems to be hitting on all the Reddit boards, on all the... The message boards people are excited about these limited editions they're hard to find um the toyota box set that just came out was beautiful the obayashi box set that came out was it's beautiful uh so as you know 
are you moving, uh, is this an intentional move to, to, to kind of get into these uh, limited editions, uh, these kind of bigger boxes? Is this something that is thoughtful or is it just a coincidence of timing that you had access to certain of these filmographies and wanted to, to put these up? To be very frank, you know, the, the, I, I do understand that what's, the, you know, the, the, the hitting the stride is mainly because I've been, to be honest, uh, I'm, I'm speaking on myself, but um, I used to prefer to, and I release the type of films that I used to release, like these sort of very, these films that, that didn't really have much potential in essence, uh, films like Miki Satoshi, tiny Japanese quirky comedies or films like Fine Totally Fine, you know, these are the films that I really love to distribute. And um Maybe the films that are are making my company more popular now are films that, to be very frank, I, I mean, I they're, they're films that I like, but I always wanted to do a company of releasing films that wouldn't get released otherwise. And the films that are obviously the big sellers, you know, are films like, for example, like the Takashi Kitano films that I bought um, and released. Now, of course, I was, I was the first person to put them out on Blu-ray, but somebody would have done it. So I really didn't think there was a reason for me to do it as a distributor. I mean, obviously there's a business reason to do it, but I was never really that focused on sort of the bottom line in essence, because I'm not a company that has staff and offices and have all these overheads. You know, I just do this as a, as a sort of love. So I don't really, as much as like Hanabi is actually one of my favorite films of all time. I never really thought, you know, I didn't think there was a reason for me to put it out. And that film those Kitano films were actually held by Gareth Evans, the director of The Raid. He was a, a big fan of, of Third Window films and wanted me to put them out and actually put the money forward to get them out there. So oh, wow. I, yeah, so so thanks to him, I put them out. And that sort of changed actually the way that the company worked because, um, you know, it, it turned out to be getting these more sort of easy to sell titles. Like, um, of course, I love... Uh, I love, um, you know, Hiroko the Goblin and a lot of the Tsukamoto films. But as I like with the Kitano films, you know, somebody probably would release them and they have been released in other territories as well. So, but I mean, obviously that that's that's why uh, the company is, is more popular now is because it's more genre titles as well. And it's more classic titles instead of like a brand new tiny Japanese film that no one's heard of. It's like a, a classic film that, that everyone has heard of, like uh, Hiroko the Goblin, Crazy Thunder Road, Funky Forest, even the Obayashis. Obayashi is a big name. So... They're, they're more settable titles and I don't really have as much um, passion towards uh, releasing them to be to be very frank I mean uh, you know I'm, it's not like I'm releasing films that I, I don't that I don't like or I would don't really I'm, I'm sort of anti against releasing them but I, I it's 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 a bit different than, than um, I used to feel and I think that's mainly because they just haven't there isn't as many good Japanese films to release nowadays you know the, as in new films. And, you know, I talk a lot with um, Stefan Hall, who runs Rapid Eye Movies, um, because I work with him a lot and I've admired him for, for many years. And the two of us are, are distributors of sort of minor Japanese and minor Asian films in the West. And we're always talking about, well, we just can't find any any good films to release. And therefore, to continue just releasing films, we have to go and get back catalog titles just oh, so that... If so, so if there were more films out there, then I probably wouldn't release all these like films like Hiroko the Goblin. But um, you know, it's uh, you know, I, I still put an effort into releasing them. But I'd rather release like a tiny, small, tiny film like uh, you know, Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes or something like that, uh, or, or some even more smaller, you know, comedy or something. So, how are you curating new titles now? Is it mostly festivals? Is that where you're discovering new new talent right now? No, actually, I also work um because I have a. Uh, as as a distributor, you know, it's you can only 
do so much. And that, and that also requires you to work with people like sales agents and, um, and big companies. And it's a real pain, to be honest. And, and you're only given a, fi- a finished product and, and you know, maybe a, a shit poster or something like that and, and told you can't you do something else with the title. So I got into production years ago and that helped me to work from, from the very zero. The, the beginning and then I also got into handling sales for, for films um, in which I have I work on behalf of the, the filmmaker or the producer to bring the film to film festivals and then sell the film internationally and do, doing that you know gives me the sort of uh, advantage to see films way before film festival festivals because obviously I'm submitting to films to film festivals and examples of some is like one cut of the dead one cut of the dead was a film that i got from the, the, the from the producer and director way way before it was released in japan and i brought that to film festivals and sold it and, and recently uh beyond the infinite two minutes is another one where i've done the same thing and it allows me also to to obviously um make the posters and and make the the, the marketing materials and all that so it's that's mainly how how, how i work nowadays so you know, when it comes to film festivals there might be titles that I'm thinking of of releasing that I'm on the fence of, and then somebody might bring them to film festival, and the reaction there might sort of give me um, a little more um, push to 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 actually acquire that title for distribution. But um, otherwise, yes, uh, it, 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 there'll be titles like um, like like One Cut of the Dead will be on the Infinite Two Minutes that I'll bring to film festivals in order to create the promotion, so that when I do release it myself, you know. It, it'll be already in people's minds. So it's a, it's a bit of a sort of one, one, one stop uh, does everything type, uh, type of situation. That, that's great. I, that was one, one cut from uh, the dead was actually one of the, the movies that I had uh, questions about. So you answered a lot of the ones that I had kind of how that went about. So, so you actually got involved with that project uh, as it was finished and you helped be kind of get it out to the world uh, much more than just the, the packaging. Like you were the sales agent as well for that. And uh, yeah, I brought that to, to 150 film festivals with like with just with three DCPs because uh, you know I wanted to keep all the costs down for the producer as well. And you know I think a lot of people don't realize also the problem with why Je- many Japanese films don't get overseas is because sales agents and these major companies that ho- hold the rights to films like ask for for just absurd demands, even for a film festival screening. Like you know I also program for film festivals and I might want a title like even if it's like a just a straight up drama that that doesn't really have that much potential these major companies will say if you want to play it once it'll cost you like $1,500 for one time screening and it's like well cinema has like 200 seats like that's impossible you know and they're like well so well this that's our rule and and that film will end up just not going anywhere so you know even even if it was one cut of the dead you know if it, it had been a studio that had handled that film it wouldn't have gone anywhere as as as, as far as it did i mean uh, you know as a buyer myself you know when i'm looking at things from from all these different angles as a festival programmer as a seller and a, as a buyer you know i can see what markets have what potential and, and you know what film festivals suit which film and the fact you need to get a certain films into certain film festivals in order to sell it internationally and uh, you know these these sales agents don't really think that way so it, they, they kill the chances of many films getting out there and it's uh it's very annoying unfortunately it's the reason why most people don't see the vast majority of japanese films i'm just as i hear you talk i'm i i, I hope this comes i just i'm so impressed I, I don't know i hope it's not condescending but i'm just so impressed with the, the wisdom you've built up over the years and how natural and fluent you are in like every aspect of bringing this film to life 
Um, are you, uh, have you ever considered writing a book or do you think you'll ever write a book on, on this? And, or, or like, like, how are you, other than, you know, uh, being generous and giving your time to new distribution houses, how are you getting this knowledge out there and helping other people uh, appreciate cinema the right ways? I'm just doing as much as I can, to be honest. I'm not going to, I don't have time to write a book. It takes me about three days to watch a movie nowadays. I've got a, a young baby as well. And I've got, I'm doing all these, these, uh, I've got no staff and I'm trying to, you know, release the film every month and also, you know, make the extra features for the films, do the subtitles for it. Um, you know, do every single aspect that I can myself in order to, to bring the cost down. But, you know, I think it's important. I, it really pisses me off actually when like sales agents for a Japanese company don't understand what they're doing in essence they, they should in my opinion a sales agent should understand every single market they're working with and the all the distributors within that market and the way of distribution within that market because if they don't they can't properly understand how they should sell a film and a producer is the same if a producer doesn't understand just the way that a film would be released after that film is made then you know it's i don't think he should be he should be a producer um and of course in the west i think um people work in a similar way that, than me they tend to understand or try to understand as much of, of a market as possible but in japan they don't they don't they don't work like that so a producer will only know how to raise the money he won't know how to to edit or, or for example or understand the concept of editing editing to get a good um flow for the feet for the film when it's finished or or the way that it should be marketed and, and a, a marketing person won't understand distribution and a distributor won't understand you know production and, and this and that so you know it, it's I, I, in my opinion, you know, it, it's just you. It's rational that, and if you should understand every single aspect as as much as you can, because if you don't, then you're you're not doing your job correctly, and you won't be able to fully uh, maximize. For example, if you produce a film, to maximize the profit, if you don't understand the distribution, if you don't understand film festivals, if you don't understand editing, if you don't understand these sorts of things. So I just over the years try to learn as much as I can by doing everything. So even I distribute within Japan as well. I distribute films within Japan because I, so that I can know the Japanese market as well. And I distribute and I handle film festivals so I can know that market. And, you know, I, th I just think it's, it's, it's important to, to know everything you can um, in order to work. But of course, because I'm knowing so many things, I'm not knowing, I'm not sort of, uh, I don't know so much about each one, to be honest. So I'm, it's, I'm doing a bit of a, Yes, yeah, so this the jack of all trades, uh, master of none sort of thing. So, I I know a lot about various things, but but I, if I had focused properly on on distribution as a solely or or properly on production solely, then I probably could do each one uh, better. But I might not know about the other aspects. So it's a it's a sort of balance that I'm I'm constantly trying to uh, to figure out. Well, this is the thing about independent film producing, though, right? I mean, I think that as you as you talked about the situation or the the organizational structure that you just laid out where there's like a marketing expert and there's like a, you know, maybe a design expert and maybe there's a finance expert and all that, that's just bloated costs, right? Exactly. And a massive studio, I mean, you can kind of get away with it because you need it. I mean, you can't, you can't produce Spider-Man No Way Home with one person. That's silly, right? Of course you need like an army behind it. Um, but for the world, I mean, the, the, you're, as you talk, I'm, Hearing, uh, have you ever read Lloyd Kaufman's book, Make Your Own Damn Movie? I um, haven't. Uh, or if I did, it was a very, very long time ago. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, whatever, right? You know, but I, it, trauma, I'm not trying to compare what you're doing with trauma, but I just think there's the spirit, there's a similar spirit there in saying, like, no, you can do all this stuff. Like, it's not like this, you know, 
uh, if you just apply yourself like to the production and to the marketing and to all these things, like you get to over time, you get to see how the system works and you get a sense of how to, how to market the films you produce. And like, you get a sense of how to cut corners and costs because that's what ultimately matters to, to get margins. And I mean, anyways, there's just a, um, there's a similar kind of, uh, I don't know, renegade or kind of rebel spirit in a lot of what you're saying that I love. I mean, I don't think you're doing it for the purpose of being rebellious, but I think you're just saying like, I want to learn the right way to do it. <laughs> that's kind of what I'm hearing, right? Yeah, I just don't think that, that uh, I, I think you shouldn't have to count on other people. Um, I think you should, it's more, it's, it's more interesting and it's more fun to just, and it's, it's, it provides more knowledge if you learn it all yourself. I mean, if you were to, of course, you know, that takes time and, and uh, that comes to experience. But, you know, if you were to ask, hire a company like to, to market your film, then, then you're not going to learn how to market your film. You go, unless you initially hire them, then you watch every single thing they do. And then you steal all their, their press contacts and then you use it the next time for yourself. And it's all just sort of, sort of that, you know, I mean, obviously I didn't know how to um, design artwork initially because I never went to, to school for any of those sort of things. And then I hired somebody to do it. And then I said, can you send me all like the layered files? And I started like looking through the layers and reading books at the same time. Okay. This is how you put a layer on it. And this is how you cut this out. And okay, I'm going to use that from this one. And then, you know, asking somebody to edit out like a tra like a trailer or like or a making of and it's like sit next to him and then watch it and then just okay and then you go back home and obviously now there's youtube where you can just play like how do you make put like a sure, mosaic sure, into sure. it and then it just tells you and then you copy it and then oh, okay now i know how to make a mosaic or something like that and you know it's you know i just think that it's it's better to know everything uh yourself and it's it's more fun it's and it's quicker obviously because i'm i'm i don't have so much time so i if if i can do it now in in this second then it's a lot quicker than having to wait for somebody and to do it for me uh, and cheaper obviously so i i didn't know that but just to make sure i'm hearing you right all you do all your own artwork now i don't do the illust like for example um you know with the obayashi illustrated one i'm, I'm not that that ta talented unfortunately but e everything that, that has to do with um the um layouts also if the a lot of the artwork comes from japan initially and in terms of like you know uh, you know putting it in the in the right dimensions uh you know changing it if it's a quad poster or something like that or a blu-ray or or um you know if it's simple artwork uh simple designs then then yes i'll do it uh but usually uh yeah, so so the majority of the time I do it, but sometimes if it's like a nice like you know illustrated artwork, you know, for like the the Tsukamoto films or something like that, then yes, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll hire somebody to do it because I, I but what but I'm sure I'll, you know I maybe I'll just have to learn and do it myself. I mean, it takes it. I think a talent is obviously something I don't have. So, but if if it can be done with skill, then I, I can learn it. I guess. But maybe there's an AI program where you can like take a, an art and maybe recreate it. Um, yeah, in time, in time. <laughs> that's great well um so one of the questions that you know that, that everybody's always asking on, on a lot of the boards uh, as for a lot of the different distribution houses is this transition to 4k right so um is that something that's on your radar is that something you're thinking about um uh, yeah i i mean to be to be very honest and i'm a film lover and i'm not a format lover in, in a sense you know a dvd is fine with me a vhs is fine with me I understand that people nowadays, because of, um, you know, better televisions and uh, and because of obviously other companies making things in 4K and all that sort of stuff, that they're becoming more used to that. But and but, you know, in my opinion, 
first of all, Blu-ray is a, was a massive step up from DVD and it's high definition. And I don't think that uh, you really need 4K for, unless it's like Avatar or something like that. And especially, you know, I'm dealing with like Japanese films that are made for like $50,000. Like that is no, it's, it's going to look no different than even like DVD to, to like Blu-ray, like let alone that even 4K. And, you know, especially if it's, you know, these are films that, that you know, if, if you're dealing, you know, with, with something that was like shot on 16 millimeter, which a lot of them I did are, you know, it's you can only make it so much better. And the source material is a big aspect of that. And I, I can't do a, we, the, you know, just the cost in Japan, they still only do two, 2K scans. So, you know, then it's just upscaling and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, that's a, a huge amount of extra cost for something that I, I just hope that... I can stay as long as I, I can hold out as long as I can in Blu-ray. I mean, I held out for as long as I could in DVD. And uh, but that, that was a big step up. So I understand that. But 4K is like, you know, I, I, I just hope that like Blu-ray stays for a little longer because I'm really actually stressed out recently because I don't want to have to do that. I do really don't want to have to do the 4K route. And um, I just hope that the Blu-ray... I mean, I, I personally, I don't know the difference. Uh, you know, I don't have a, a good enough television. I guess I still got to watch most of my films in the cinema. So, uh, you know, maybe I'm not representative of 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 the people who who buy my titles or who. <laughs> but but this is my company, so I, I can only be as representative of my company as I can. I guess. No, I mean, I, I think that's a great quote, though. You know, I love the films, not the format. I think that there is a tendency in these discussion boards to get so caught up in the discussion of the format that you forget there's a film behind it sometimes. And, and people might say like, oh, well, but no, but it's a discussion about seeing the film in the best, highest, you know, highest quality or whatever. But to your point, I mean, I'm going through, one of the things I'm, I'm watching through right now is, um, uh, the, you know, Arrow Video put out this H.G. Lewis box set uh, that's like a 14 of his movies. And, you know, those the, the highest budget that he ever made was $60,000, right? Most of his films were for about ten to $20,000. I, I don't think I'll buy the 4K of that, if it, even if they just come out one day. Like, I'm okay. Like, I, you know, I'm seeing it on Blu-ray. That's that's fine. <laughs> I, I think I'm kind of with you on that a little bit. Yeah, um, I mean, luckily, luckily, just Japanese cinema is not really the kind of type of cinema that it would make any difference. I mean, I, I do honestly think that a lot of people, yes, uh, are, are getting too caught up in, in the, these these the formats and even, you know, the extras and, and the, the packaging sometimes, you know, people like returning stuff because there's like a crease in in the zip place like you know they don't understand that that when they return the disc like that it's in essence it costs me like three times as much because they return it to like amazon amazon like throw it away but return the money plus like give a new one which has to be and so i lose like the sale of like two of them and all the margins in between and all the return costs as well just for like a like a, a, a crease. I mean, for goodness sake, I mean, like, why did you buy? I mean, I don't want to sort of offend the people that are, that are, that are buying these, these discs of mine, but I wouldn't, I'd, I'd appreciate it if people understood that I'm trying to put these films out, these films that are not available for the most part in any other format or anywhere else in the world. You know, I mean, there's a lot going into them and I, I do as much as I, as I can to keep the prices low. And I, I wish I could bring them lower, but Arrow takes such a bloody massive margin that it's hard to, but um. You know, I, I, I do hope that, yes, uh, people appreciate the films a little more uh, than the formats. And, uh, and I hope people don't, don't get angry at me for, for trying to fight that corner. Well, I'm just trying to think of if speaking of Arrow, I forget exactly when they opened their doors, but they were doing dual format DVD Blu-ray. So 2018, maybe, maybe, I'm still, maybe I've still done it, to be honest, actually, I, I've still got a few out recently dual formats. I mean, I stopped doing them maybe yeah last year or the year before, but uh, 
uh, there are people that still buy DVDs, especially in Japan, because um, Japanese are, are still don't buy Blu-rays. They're still old-fashioned. Still bloody VHS over here. But um, you know. Um, I, I, <laughs> Uh, well, I was just thinking, though, in terms of fighting the 4K battle, if there was, you know, seven or eight years of dual format, maybe you've got a good seven or eight years left of, of Blu-ray before everybody's TV is converted. Uh, maybe you don't have to fight that battle for a, a long time anyways. <laughs> it's unfortunate um, also me, me living in Japan. I think that does sort of skew my my um, my thoughts because Japan is, is very old fashioned. Um, it's not uh, everybody thinks of Japan as this very sort of sort of technologically advanced culture. And it is they like to make technology, but they don't like to use it. I think, uh, you know, many Japanese still use the flip, the Galaxy, they call it here, I forget what they call it, you know, the, the flip phones that don't have, the, the, the pre-smartphones. Um, okay. I mean, my, my wife still uses one, and many people in Japan still use them, and, and you know, Blu-ray is not a big yeah. thing here. It's still DVD is the, is the majority, and, um, you know, people go to the cinema over anything else, and video on demand is, is not a big thing here either. So, um, you know, I think... That unfortunately, um, yeah, being in this situation does sort of uh, screw screw my my the way that my understanding of the market, unfortunately. Well, it doesn't seem to be hurting you right now, as far as I can tell. I, it, again, just from the outside looking in, it seems like your limited editions are selling out. Um, at least through the channels, it makes it easy to buy in the U.S. It seems like they're selling out very quickly. So but they're not. They're not. Unfortunately, I like. Uh, you know, they're, they're still talking about very low sales. Um, you know, considering that, for example. Like the Toyota set is like the only way to watch those films in the world. That's like six hundred copies that it sold, you know, or six seven hundred copies. I mean, oh, you know, yeah, Obayashi is about seven hundred copies. I mean, um, a lot of them, you know, they they really scrape. They're lucky to get a thousand copies sold for for the majority of, of films that I release. I mean, Taste of Tea was like that's the only copy of even it's not even available in Japan on Blu-ray that sold one thousand two hundred copies over like two three years. And that's within sales where it sometimes goes for like, you know, 10 pounds or less. So, you know, these aren't unfortunately big sellers. And if you think about how many people there are in the world, even niche, even within a niche, niche formats of, of DVD buyers and Blu-ray buyers, you know, a thousand copies is, is not a lot of, a lot of uh, copies sold of a film where it may be the only version in the world. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's still not, um, yeah, Arrow, well, obviously nowhere near Arrow's levels, but even Arrow's like small titles levels. Well, that's, I, I appreciate your candid, uh, candor on that. That's interesting. I, that's certainly, uh, I, I think, yeah, that's interesting to hear. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I know that, uh, I, I hope that does change. And I, I hope that these titles sell out for you so you can continue to expand uh, and, and put out more. Do you, do you feel that, I guess, that comment notwithstanding, one of the questions I was curious about uh, is, do you feel that it's better now than it was, let's say, 11, 12, 13, you know, those years where it got pretty lean. Do you at least see it kind of improving in terms of sales? And uh, is that better? Well, you know, back in the days I was selling, especially like even DV, obviously DVD, I mean, uh, you know, a few thousand copies of, of, of many, many titles. And nowadays, you know, it's, it's lucky to get a thousand. So obviously, and obviously those are DVDs, which were a lot cheaper to, to make than, than Blu-rays. I mean, a, a Blu-ray, Obviously, you have um, the cost of the film, which um, if I were to remove the cost of the film, just the cost of uh, certifying it with the BBFC to um, put it, author the Blu-ray, manufacture the Blu-rays, like just the cost, like you'd have to sell like five, six hundred just to break even of, of, of those on top costs. And plus, then you, you'd have the cost of acquiring the film. And even that's obviously cheaper than it used to be. But let's say if you acquire a film for, I don't know, like three, four thousand pounds, um, 
then you'd have to sell about a thousand units just to break even. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, I mean, obviously, I think because obviously I've changed my mindset a little more and focusing more on titles that are selling more than a thousand units, like the Tsukamoto films, but, it, you know, maybe it's, it's, uh, it's better in, than, than some of the sales, but but there are still the minor titles like films like Melancholic or something. Uh, you know, there that's like 500 copies uh, sold like over like three, four years. So they don't even break even. I figured Melancholic would be a big seller for you. Anyway, sorry, maybe my perception is skewed because I like these movies. I don't know. Yes, yes, that, that is it. Uh, I think, uh, you know, you'd think that, um, that, 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 that they would sell more than that, but um, un unfortunately they, they don't. Um, you know, I mean, obviously I think the collector's market has also maybe become so popular nowadays, especially with companies like Arrow make putting like you know ten films out a month. You know that obviously collectors don't have time to watch these films and don't have the money to to buy um thing a lot of a lot of titles. You know um and are more focused on the sort of limited editions than they are like standard editions uh, maybe. But you know you can only you can't put like a it's it's hard to think about putting out like a limited edition of a film like Melancholic because it's a uh, I, I'd, I'd rather sort of have the retail price lower so that people can take a chance on a on a small Japanese film. But but yes, if you make a limited edition, then you have to put it out for a little more. And, uh, you know, that has to be a title like a Tsukamoto film that um, people are more willing to buy. So uh, it's com it's complicated. Yeah. Trying to weigh everything up. And yeah, I mean, the market seems like it's, it's bigger nowadays because companies like Arrow are doing so well. But I think that it does mainly come down to like films like Robocop or, 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 or like, you know, the, the Arrow films that are, or, or June or some, or some major title, not like these minor Japanese or Asian films. Huh. Um, I had heard from Jason, uh, what an honest and kind of candid person you were. It's, it's really humbling to hear it. Uh, it, it I think it's, I, I thank you for answering my question. So honestly, it's, you know, as a, this is a, a side that I don't think, Many people listening and, and myself certainly don't get to hear that much. Uh, it's it's a fascinating glimpse into what's going on behind, you know, when we're making a decision whether or not to buy uh, uh, one of your titles. Like, I think it, it's it's so, uh, that's one thing I love about these interviews is like, it's not just buying, uh, you know, Hiroku the Goblin. It's like, oh, okay, I'm supporting Adam. Or like, you know, it's like, a, it's different after having speaking to you. And, and I'm hoping that as people hear this and having heard you, um, and, and your honesty and passion in this. Well, the, the only other question I, I really have, I guess, is looking forward, you know, can you talk at all about kind of what's coming up this year? I know you've, you know, released some information, but I mean, is there anything you want to highlight or kind of focus on as far as what people should be expecting? Um, yeah, I mean, right now, yeah, there's um, Crazy Thunder Road is out this month. It's already been announced. And uh, Funky Forest uh, and Warp Forest, which was uh, working with Era 4444 in America. And that was quite a, it was quite a stressful situation for me because I had to subtitle so much and so much, yeah, on that. I mean, like, including, like, an audio commentary by all three directors speaking over each other for 150 minutes. And uh, I was sitting there when they were doing that and I was going, really, I'm going to, this is going to take like a month to subtitle. And it did take a month to subtitle. So um, at least it didn't cost, uh, it didn't cost anything. It just uh, took my time and, and uh, my sanity for a while. But uh Sorry, sorry, just really quick. You do all the subtitling as well. I know you've kind of mentioned that at passing, but you're fluent enough in Japanese to where you can. Or wait, uh, no, Funky Forest is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can actually do all the subtitling as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't, the features are obviously, you know, subtitled for all these films initially, but yes, the extra features, uh, including actually, you know, the majority of the time I make the extra features, um, you know, I, I bring my my laptop and I, I, I bring the director into this tiny room here and I say like, can you can you speak over this this and don't don't pause in between because then it will, I'll have to do some more editing or something like that. So again, uh, let's just speak the whole time and then I'll um I'll subtitle it myself. Um, it just yeah, I mean subtitling can get very expensive if you if you were to hire a company out and uh, I can do the, obviously the, the technical side as well as the um my Japanese is obviously good enough to um to do it. So uh, including you know all, all the majority of bonus features uh on my discs, whether they be interviews with the directors or um, or audio commentaries, yes, are done, uh, are filmed by me, which is, uh, I did just buy a better camera because I was using some awful cheap camcorder for, for a while and always having warning screens at the beginning of them saying like, I'm sorry, this is very bad quality, but like there, there was something wrong with the lighting or something, maybe actually just a shit camera. Um, so, but yes, I, I do that and I edit them myself, which is why they're quite simply edited and then um, make the subtitles on top. So it's a, it cuts, cuts all the costs um, for everything down. So yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah, but yeah, Funky Forest was one that, uh, and War Forest, uh, which, which uh, we made lots of extra features or I made lots of extra features for. And, um, and then uh, uh, coming up, yes, I've got a film called Zoki, which is one of these, small Japanese films that's only going to sell about 500 copies, on, but uh, well, what can you do? And then uh, Onoda, which was in Cannes, actually, it's quite a big film that I've uh, taken on and I'm a bit uh, regretting that because uh, it was it's a French film and they're about as, as pay, painful to work with as, as a Japanese. So um, I, I, <laughs> I, I'm trying to put that, put that in cinemas and in, in, in Blu-ray in May. And then after that, um, I've been I announced this, but I've been still going through the contract situation because it's a bloody pain in the ass. But yes, the Obayashi film, four films from the eighties, um, uh, school hair in the cross, school in the crosshairs, and um, the girl who leapt through time, and uh, her, her um, his motorcycle, her island, and the island nearest paradise. Uh, these are actually films that I had been trying to acquire for years, and I got so pissed off with the the um, sales agent Kadokawa that I stopped but because I put so much effort into putting out working with with Obayashi that I did the anti-war trilogy because um uh, the, it was a lot easier titles to acquire so I it was that that came out from from the stress of of trying to deal with these 80s films and and once I did the anti-war trilogy I thought oh, I'm going to go back to Kadokawa and try it again and I did it and then like I thought it was all done and now like I'm having more pay, problems with the bloody uh, contracts so I'm sure they'll get released, but it's going to cost me a lot more than I than I expected to. Uh, uh, so that's that'll be another box set um, later this year. Plus, uh, uh, Sean Son and Suicide Club. Um, this is another title that also, to be very frank, that uh, I'm sure somebody would would release it anyway, and and I don't really feel the need for me to release it. But uh, I'm sure because I've released so many Sean Sono films that um, it'll be a good seller, and then maybe I can find some tiny little Japanese film to bounce off that uh, and and. Um, and otherwise, I've been trying to work recently on um, remastering uh, some titles from like uh, Katsui Tuishi, uh, who did, um, yes, Funky Forest. Uh, he His films, uh, Party 7 and Shaskin Man and Hippie Chip Girl, that's something that I've been trying to uh, remaster. But it's been a very complicated situation with the sales agent as well, as, as it always is. And I've had to sell these films and, and to raise money to re remaster them in Japan. So it's it's a it's a complicated thing that may, that should happen, but I can't say for sure whether it will or not and there are some other instances with other films that i've been uh, trying to remaster but 
in order to remaster them, I've had to work as a sales agent on behalf of the sales company to get money from other distributors so that they can be used to remaster. And I get obviously nothing from this, no, no commission and no even, not even like I, I still have to pay for the rights to the UK. But in order to get these films remastered, I had to, I have to sell them and then like, I'll probably have to bring them to film festivals as well just to get the money that, that, that is being used to remaster them. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work for, um, I get the uh, the smallest uh, slice of the pie in the end. It's interesting. I, we, we had a conversation with uh, one of the, I don't know if you know Jared from Mondo Macabro, um, but we had a conversation with him recently. And he was saying, we were talking about some Indonesian films that they had put out years ago. And he said, you know, there's some stuff I can't really get into, but like for legal reasons, basically, we're not going to be able to uh, put these out on Blu-ray, even though we, we love these movies and, and we would like to. Uh, but I'm just thinking that the more I hear about the rights um, uh, of, you know, acquiring rights and dealing with the rights holders and all that, I feel like it's an uh, underappreciated art to be able to do that because it just feels like it adds a tremendous amount of unnecessary stress to the process of just trying to get a movie released sometimes. I mean, luckily, because as I mentioned, me being here and understanding and learning to over the years understand how Japanese think, it's very complicated the way the Japanese think because... You know, we as Westerners, maybe I think, especially in school, I think creativity is quite important. Um, but Japanese school is very rigid and very, very structured. And they don't really like to promote creativity. It's all about just being the same as everyone else. And Japanese companies are the same like that as well. And, and the way the Japanese companies as a whole work is not like you headhunt somebody who is very knowledgeable about that position. It's more about you taking in young people and bringing them into your company and so that they can stay there for the rest of their lives mm -hmm. and molding them into like subjects of that company, whether or not they're interested in, in the, the work that that company is doing. So whether or not they love film or not, they end up in these film companies. And the only reason they make it into like, let's say the international department is because their English is better than somebody else's, but it's not because they understand the international markets. So me and, I mean, I always sort of knew that about Japanese, but but being here, you really learn how sort of rigid the, the society is. And therefore, it allows me to work with them in a way that I'm sort of working for them, like knowing that they don't understand the international market and knowing that they have these company rules that are like outdated. It's like, OK, well, if it if I'm able to release this film or if I want to release this, film, I need to sort of think as they might be thinking, but then also do things they can't do in order to get them to move. Like, uh, like they can only move from like A to B. So I have to do like C, D, E, and F so that they can move to B. It's sort of like, uh, it's incredibly complicated and, and, it's, and, and it's incredibly stressful because, you know, I'm doing this for them so that I can release a film and I'm paying them to release a film. But in order for me to be able to release that film, I need to like sell it to like other companies to get the money so that they'll allow it to be sold. I mean, because that fits into their rules structure of like only selling a film for like this price or something. So it's, it's really, really painful and it pisses me off. And I'm always yelling at them like, you know, don't you understand you're killing Japanese cinema? And it's like, I'm always ranting, you know, send these long ranted emails, like copy and pasted emails from the last 10 times I sent to other companies. Like, don't you guys understand? Like the way you're thinking is like 20 years old. And, you know, uh, you know, you, if you don't do this, then, then Japanese cinema is going to die internationally and blah, 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 blah. But they, 
they don't understand. So I just, I sometimes I just have to realize, okay, well, instead of ranting at them, I'll just do all their work for them, and then uh, you know, hopefully that'll get it sorted. So it's it's yeah, it's, it's a very complicated process, especially with Japanese over, uh, for example, Koreans. Koreans are, are very different, to, and, and Hong Kong as well, because they are a lot more Western-minded, and Japan is very very much an island nation. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> I, no, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed uh, uh, with your, your, your candor throughout this entire interview. It's so refreshing uh, and so fascinating. Um, thank you. Um, I, I've really enjoyed this discussion. Uh, is there anything that I haven't asked that you would want me to have asked or anything that you're thinking of that you wish you would have had a chance to say? No, I, I just every time I'm, I'm asked any questions, I always apologize. And, and I should have done at the beginning, but I tend to go on these incredible tangents and rant on for, for ages. And then were I to listen back, I might think that oh, that doesn't make any sense. Or, or I wonder if anybody who's listening is understanding what I'm saying and if you're following me. So I always, always remember to apologize. And that's uh, I do apologize if, uh, if uh, I've gone off on and uh, you don't understand what, what I'm speaking about. And maybe it doesn't make any sense. And, and yes, I apologize. Uh, that's 100% not uh, how I experienced this conversation. I understood you very clearly, and I think you're bringing a perspective of, of wisdom. And I, and I sense, um, you know, I've I heard one time there was a quote that said um, something to the effect of in, in frustration is, is latent optimism. So basically, like, in order to get frustrated at a process, you actually have to be an optimist because you have to believe that there is a right way of doing things and, and people will, will do it. And therefore you can continue to get frustrated when it's not being done the right way. Um, and so uh, in that sense, I, I, I see you as a, a very optimistic person who's <laughs> trying to do things the right way, uh, even despite having a lot of obstacles over um, six, uh, no, almost 17 years now of, of having your own company. Yeah, a lot, lot less hair, uh, that's for sure. <laughs> um, well, I will make. Is the best way to to help you to buy from your web store? Well, you know, because I'm based in Japan now, I used to be that I used to just sell stuff from from my own house uh, um, and run to the post office uh, like like fifty times a day. Um, but I can't do that because uh, I'm in Japan now. So what I've done is um, the terracotta is um, a friend of mine called Joey, who we've known each other for, for since. We actually both started our own companies around the same time. We've always worked together, and he's a very, very, very passionate guy as well, who also is juggling about 20 things at the same time. Um, and he's selling stuff um, through through his store, the Terracotta online store, which also sells a lot of Asian, a lot of Asian films. And he's very, he's very, he packages them very, very, very well. And I think uh, he's got very good customer service. Um, so supporting him is also supporting me, and and vice versa. So I always recommend, uh, yes, Terracotta. Distribution or Terracotta online for their um for the for all my titles. Perfect. Um. Okay. Well, that's all the questions I have. I, I really appreciate the time, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely continue to stay in touch. Thank you. That wraps up this week's episode of They Live by Film. If you want to read more of our thoughts, visit theylivebyfilm.com. You can also follow our Letterboxd, Reddit, and Instagram accounts from the links in the description. For now, take care.